We just sort of tripped and fell into the teletarianism. <laughs> Podcasting from an underground studio flying under the radar, this is Dan. By day, I'm a professor of cognitive neuroscience, and by night, I retreat into my subterranean lair and dig deep into the thoughts of mankind. And I'm Dave, sitting firmly atop the Great Canadian Shield in Northern Ontario. I'm a pastor by profession, and a part of that includes unmasking the messaging that comes at us each and every day. You're listening to the Knock Informed Podcast. Where we're a part of the small group taking up space in Comrade Trudeau's Canada. Ah, yes. Welcome everyone to episode 33 of the Not Conform Show. Dave, what do you mean by small group? What small group are we a part of? Well, I was thinking about the uh, the clip there where Trudeau talks about the unvaxxed with that interview that he did in Quebec. Did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that. Yeah. I, actually, I have the clip here. Do you want me to play it? It's in French, but maybe we can... Play it a bit, then I've got a translation here as well. Okay, as long as you translate, go ahead. All right. Oui, on va s'en sortir de cette pandémie par la vaccination. Puis on sait, on en connaît tous des gens qui sont en train d'hésiter un petit peu. On va continuer d'essayer de les convaincre, mais aussi des gens qui sont farouchement My French is not good enough. Vaccination. Ils sont extrémistes. Qui croient pas. Yeah, so let me pause it there. So, um, so he says, uh, yes, we will, we will get out of this pandemic by vaccination. We all know people that are a little bit hesitant. We will continue to try to convince them, but there are these, but also there are people that are ferociously against vaccination. Ooh. So ferociously. And then the moderator says, they're, they're extremists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Trudeau goes on to say, well, let me play it here. So just uh, if you know French, you can get the sense of the drift here. Okay. Pas dans la science, qui sont souvent misogynes, souvent racistes aussi. C'est un, 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 petite, un petit groupe, mais qui prend de la place. So, he says, they don't believe in science. He agrees with her, they're extremists. They don't believe in science. They're often misogynists. They're often racist. It's a small group that takes up room. Okay, that's, oh, that's the literal is. translation of what he says. I mean, there is, I've, I've talked to friends that are um, from Quebec that know the French, and they say that's a pretty good translation. Um, I, I've, I think Crowder had it translated as that, that muscles in. Um, but but mm-hmm. takes up room is 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 you get the sense of what he's saying right and then he goes on and I won't play the French he says and we have to make a choice in terms of leaders in terms of the country do we tolerate these people or do we say hey most of the Quebecois people are eighty percent vaccinated and um, we want to come back to things we like doing it's not those people i.e. the vaccinated that are blocking us right. Um, so so this is a real uh, this is a real rhetoric against. The, you know, they don't believe in science. They're often misogynist. They're often racist. A small group that takes up room. Yeah, Dave, we're not even just dead wood taking up space and taking up room. We're actually negative things. These misogynists yeah. and racists and so yeah. on. Uh, that's but of right. course, that's right. you know, although that's very strong rhetoric and uh, we would say we are part of that group taking up space, uh, we are not anti-science, obviously. We are not misogynist. We are not racist. We're just against vaccine mandates, <laughs> like a lot of people in this country. Uh, so, yeah, exa- so that's that. Exactly, and, and we see this. This is the same kind of mischaracterization and vilification that we're now seeing with the truckers' freedom protest, right? Yeah. That's going on in our country. Um, and, and Dan, what, what I think we should do in this episode is is take the time to talk about this rise of dangerous rhetoric against the unvaccinated, because. Um, what is, what is mere rhetoric now 
paves the way for future action. And that's what history seems to show. Um, I was reading a, a couple years back, reading Eric Metaxas' book, his biography of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And one of the things he describes there is the Nazi progression from words to actions. And so first you get this very very bombastic rhetoric, right? Too outlandish for anyone to really pay attention to. Everybody's, oh, that's just, that's just bombastic rhetoric. But eventually, once people were desensitized to the rhetoric and maybe even bought into some of the rhetoric, they did what they said they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Hey, Dave. Dave, yep. um, you just reminded me of a book I've read recently. It's by uh, Eric Hoffer, who is mm-hmm. a philosopher, and the book is called The True Believer. It's part of this... Harper Perennial Modern Thought Resistance Library. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but he talks about all sorts of different movements, mass movements, and how they develop and how they grow. And he's got this line in there quote, A movement is pioneered by men of words, materialized by fanatics, and consolidated by men of action. So mm. you have this similar kind of idea. First, you get the men of words, and then you have the men of action. Yeah, and that can be either either in a negative direction or in a positive direction, right? Indeed, because, yeah. He, he, because he talks ideas about both. have consequences. Yeah, he talks about both. He's agnostic as to the valence of these movements, mm-hmm. but he's just he's just mm-hmm. talking about generally about mass movements. Yeah, no, I, exactly. And 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 Dan, over the last few months, I've I've been reading stuff along these lines myself too. And one of these was a, an essay. Um, first of all, people are starting to come back to the works of Hannah Arendt and her seminal work in 1948, The Origins of Totalitarianism, right? Now, people I have it right like, here. Uh, oh, you got it. Perfect. Yeah, excellent. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, you, you've got uh, people like Prof- Professor Matthias Desmet, who's talking about the uh, mass formation psychosis and stuff. He harkens back to her. Um, and what I'm specifically thinking of that might be a good outline for us today is an essay in the Brownstone by the that's published uh, by the Brownstone Institute by Christian Alting von Gessau, uh, mm-hmm. titled Totalitarianism in the Five Stages of Dehumanization. And I think it's very interesting because we are seeing, we're walking through these five stages in a in a rapid way, a very chilling kind of a way. So I propose we look at the steps, the, or stages, these steps, and then um, take a look at what's going on in our, in our society and... Um, reckon whether we're where we are <laughs> on this on this this progression yeah they have their five stages of dehumanization but they are a sign as the title of that of that article says they are a sign of totalitarianism and mm-hmm. so it's shocking to think that maybe we are already seeing strains of totalitarianism growing into uh, fruition in our land yeah, absolutely. And and across many Western societies, actually, um, well, because we'll have clips and examples from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people, there are people that are very reluctant to accept that this is to acknowledge that mm-hmm. this is actually going on. And so my, perhaps this episode might give you some fodder as you talk with those people to really show them that the, the, the direction we're headed in is not fantastic. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's that, get started. That, that's All right. So jump into it. Yeah, so um, this is, um, the author writes, he says, those peddling political rhetoric today uh, that sets up the vaccinated against the unvaccinated or vice versa are going down a very dangerous road of demagoguery that has never ended well in history. (laughs) Uh, So the first step that he, what he calls the first step, um, the first step of dehumanization is the creation and political instrumentalization of Fear. 
and the resulting permanent anxiety amongst the population. Fear for one's own life and fear for a specific group in society that is considered to be a threat that is constantly being fed. So fear and threat. So people are going to be cast as a threat and everybody else is going to have fear of that group of people. Yeah, and think about how we how we began this pandemic, right? The the right way would have been with positive messaging. And I think Trump tried this and then he was blasted by the media and mm -hmm. uh, he gave up on it. But the mm -hmm. idea is is that uh, you start with a positive galvanizing message. You know, we will stay strong. We can overcome this. This this pandemic, this, this virus is going to be a problem. Uh, but historically, pandemics don't last long and we'll do everything to protect lives and we'll do everything to protect the economy and the future of our, for our children. And, and that kind of messaging to galvanize the country. And, and people like Churchill, they this is what they understood, right? Those, those guys that, that were actually had the country's best interests in mind. But, but how did we begin with this stuff? Well, we began with messages and images that fed our fear. Dave, I recall those images coming out of China that you saw yeah. on social media and people just like falling over dead in the streets. That's right. <laughs> we That's now right. know like, that, that from Corona, you don't fall over dead in the streets, but <laughs> somehow everybody thought, hey, this is the new virus. People are just falling dead everywhere. And if it comes here, we're, we're all going to fall dead on the street. I, I know. And, and, and then people being loaded up into... You know, there was all that uh, talking about the Chinese had to get these new incinerators to handle all the dead bodies and stuff. And and we, we've since learned that some of that is was nothing but pure propaganda. Mm -hmm. And and so we were fed images and messages that, uh, that fed our fear far beyond what the actual data said and still say about the real risk to most individuals, right? That we're not saying that there's no pandemic, but we're saying that, that the fear messaging far outstrips the data about the real risk to most individuals. Yes, I agree. Okay. Uh, and, and the best single source of this, uh, I still think, is there are now a number of things you can read, but the best one, I think, is, 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 is Laura Dodsworth's book. She's a British journalist called A State of Fear. Mm -hmm. And she in that book, she chronicles the UK government's use of research and psychology to weaponize... They weaponize fear messaging in order to gain the most compliance from their citizens. And, and it turns out that actually the same has taken place in other Western countries, including, she mentions, Canada. Wow. Okay. Now, one of the interesting points that she points out is that the, the target of messaging, she looks back in history and the, using fear as, as a tool of population control is not new, but... She has this very interesting history. Like during the Cold War, um, you know, the foreign state was the actor, the Russia, Russia, Russia. Well, it, it still is the south of the border. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I'm thinking was, you know, the generation that grew up under the the duck and cover, right? You're supposed to duck and cover under your desk, and that was going to protect you from the a bomb, right? So so duck and cover generation. The, but the, the 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 threat was outside of yourself. Then with the war on terror. It shifted to to not a national state out there, but a people group that could even be among us, right? Mm -hmm. um, that you know the nine eleven images and all that kind of stuff. And then with the pandemic, there was an even closer shift in that now all of a sudden, other individuals close to you, around you, your coworkers, friends, and family, and brothers and sisters in the pew around you, everyone, all all of them were now the biological threat that could end your life. Right? Yes, And what this did was absolutely change our perspective of one another, the way we interact with one another. Yeah, Dave, Dodgeworth's work was discussed in a recent article that appeared in The Telegraph. 
The title of the article is Use of Fear to Control Behavior in COVID Crisis as Totalitarian Admit Scientists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And uh, I think yep. there's some excerpts and some things that, uh, that come out of her book, but here's some quotes. Quote, Scientists on a committee that encouraged the use of fear to control people's behavior during the COVID pandemic have admitted its work was unethical and totalitarian. Mm-hmm. Members of the Scientific Pandemic Influenza Group on Behavior, SPIB, expressed regret about the tactics in a new book about the role of psychology in the government's COVID-19 response. And then later on, she says, or the article says, one SPIB scientist told Ms. Dodsworth, quote, in March, this would be 2020, the government was very worried about compliance and they thought people wouldn't want to be locked down. There were discussions about fear being needed to encourage compliance and decisions were made about how to ramp up the fear. The way we have used fear is dystopian. (laughs) Yes, indeed it is. And then just a couple more quotes here, Dave. Another Mm -hmm. SPIB member said, you could call psychology mind control. That's what we do. And then later on, clearly we try and go about it in a positive way, but it has been used nefariously in the past. One wondered that, quote, people use the pandemic to grab power and drive through things that wouldn't happen otherwise. We have to be very careful about the authoritarianism that is creeping in. (laughs) Wow, Dave, this is exactly what what we've been talking about. In the audio book, she says spy B. I like spy B. Yeah, I like that (laughs) too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. A couple more here. Another said, quote, without a vaccine, psychology is our main weapon. (laughs) Psychology had a really good epidemic, actually. (laughs) Right? Because psychology is, you know, being used heavily during the epidemic. Another member of SPIB goes on to say, said they were stunned by the weaponization of behavioral psychology during the pandemic and that psychologists didn't seem to notice when it stopped being altruistic and became manipulative. They have too much power and it intoxicates them, end quote. So psychology, Dave, is being used as a weapon to control people in a totalitarian way. That's what these guys are saying. This should be really big news, but I, I've hardly seen it being covered. Well, yeah, certainly not by anybody in the mainstream, that's for sure. Exactly. And in fact, uh, the, the Toronto Star article that she has the URL to about the uh, nudge group that's operating in Canada, that was, that's also the operating in the UK, is now mm-hmm. gone. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so oh, that's so they're not only trying not to cover, they're trying to cover it up. <laughs> well, but listen, Dave, they don't have to cover it up because... I'm sad to say that psychology has been taking the primary role in feeding technocrats ways to manipulate people, and they've done so overtly, even in the published literature, okay? Mm. So, for example, there is a major paper that was published in Nature Human Behavior. So, this is one of the Nature Series paper, a top, Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, one of the Nature Series journals. So, this is one of the top journals, and it's titled... Mm -hmm. Using Social and Behavioral Science to Support COVID-19 Pandemic Response. And it's authored by this long list of the who's who in various aspects of manipulative psychology. I just want you to read you a section from the abstract here. Quote, The COVID-19 pandemic represents a massive global health crisis. Because the crisis requires large-scale behavior change and places significant psychological burden on individuals, 
Insights from the social and behavioral sciences can be used to help align human behavior with the recommendations of epidemiologists and public health experts. Nice. <laughs> End quote. So <laughs> align human behavior with the recommendations. In other words, they want to manipulate you into doing what they think you ought to do, right? So the key is that your behavior, and mm-hmm. in so doing, I think also your worldview, these are being scientifically and systematically engineered and fear is one of those weapons that's being used against you. And notice another key point here, Dave, you are made, if if you're the subject of this manipulation, you are being made into an object. You're being objectified because something's being done to you and already Mm -hmm. in some sense that dehumanizes you, right? Because you're just an object now. I'm going to do this to this person. Um, yeah, so yeah. It, it's that's an interesting, a, that's a great point. Yeah. It's, it's a very, very interesting trend that's emerging now. Scientific engineering of your behavior and worldview. Yeah, it, it is disturbing. And that's a great point you make about the dehumanization, dehumanizing aspect just of that yes. reality. Right now, like going back to, um, Dodsworth idea of the shifting of targets, um, over the last six months, I would say we've seen another shift in the targeting. Okay, because because before it was um, everybody around you. Now here's the thing that can't last forever because people interact. You know, there's there's their elderly; they're locked away at home. They don't interact with anybody. But uh, but um, those of us who are who go to work regularly um, interact with coworkers, family members, and at some point, reality starts to set in. Like you realize, wait a minute, we're not all dropping dead of COVID. Some of us have got COVID. You know, my family just recovered from Omicron here. It was like a bad flu and uh, not even that bad, actually. I've had worse flus than that. And mm-hmm. and and life goes on, right? And so you, you need to now shift the target again before reality reasserts itself over the fear-mongering. And so what we're seeing now is a shifting of the, the target again to externalize, to target a, a group of people that then, as we argue, are being now vilified and dehumanized. And that is specifically, we're seeing the unvaccinated being targeted that way. Yes. Right. And and, and also now, very recently, anybody that's part of this freedom convoy and, and all that kind of stuff, same sort of rhetoric of of marginalization. And, and look, you can say, okay, fine. And you know, it's, it's maybe this is, maybe this is just um, the incentive here is Trudeau's got like all these millions of unsold purchased, but unused doses. The, the demand is, is now dropping. It's like, crap, we got to get these things into people's <laughs> into some jabs into arms. So that way I don't get politically crucified for having all this stuff basically expire on the shelves. Or it could be, you know, the, 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 the fact that Pfizer um, at least when I was looking in November, when I made this particular note that, um, you know, they were set to make something like 36 billion by the end of 2021, um, mm-hmm. you know, up from an estimated 33.5 billion in that the year had the company had earned earlier. So in terms of, you know, you've got, you've got on, on a total of 41 billion revenue, right? So you think about how this has increased the pharma, big pharma and their incentives to propagate this. So w- whatever it is or other nefarious scenarios, the fact is, is, is we're seeing this fear being shifted to these more easily vilifiable scapegoats, the unvaccinated. Yeah, Dave, let me just jump in here very quickly uh, and just point out that Trudeau is often trying to divide people along the vaccinated, unvaccinated dimension. But there are a lot of people in the Freedom Convoy who are vaccinated. 
And by dividing people along the vaccinated, unvaccinated uh, continuum, he's able to make the case that the unvaccinated are a very small group. And we have to realize that's a, probably a very deliberate attempt on his part. And we should try to work against that and point out, no, it's not about vaccinated and unvaccinated. It's about those who are against vaccine mandates and pro-freedom mm-hmm. and those who are for totalitarian control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Absolutely about that. Um, now, you know, just uh, getting back to the, um, unvaccinated, the vilification of the unvaccinated and, and the, they're being scapegoated. Mm-hmm. I've got this clip now. Some of these clips I've had sitting around for a while. This was uh, part of stuff that we were going to put into the last episode that never made it in. But uh, they're still relevant because I've got this clip of um, of Ontario's chief medical officer um, that somebody put together on Twitter. And you'll hear the jump cuts in audio. You can't see the video. so But you'll hear the jump cuts. It starts out on August 24th then moves on to October 5th. Then there's a few different sound bites from November 10th and finally December 7th, right? So you've got this progression of messaging and, and it's a minute 30 to so just listen to this. Although cases are on the rise, the fourth wave is primarily being fueled by the unvaccinated amongst us. Uh, if it's a mixed group of vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals uh, outdoors, uh, you um, may consider keeping masks on. And certainly if you go indoors, I would con- uh, suggest you keep your masks on in a combina- combination of groups of vaccinated and unvaccinated. I do believe it's a very small proportion uh, of individuals that would commit this fraud. I, and uh, if we continue to hear or see transmission in these settings, it has to be because unvaccinated or uh, are mixed with vaccinated individuals. Uh, we, we will treat this very seriously going forward, uh, especially if our rates go up uh, and or we see transmission in those uh, areas um, where they should have had uh, verification process. Um, we don't want vaccinated and unvaccinated populations mixing and transmitting the virus as we go indoors. I, I am concerned as we go indoors. We know this virus likes low humidity, that it can stay in the air longer in those environments, that there is a risk of transmission, and hence the reason we need only vaccinated, protected people going into those venues uh, to keep them safe. So in, in terms of uh, the proof of vaccination, uh, we'll continue to monitor the data and make recommendations to government. Uh, uh, a basic means of protecting individuals is stopping the mixing of unvaccinated and vaccinated. In a- Stop the mixing of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, Dave. Segregation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and notice and notice the assumption that the spread has to be from the unvaccinated in all of those, which, which we know now. It's the not data true. Data simply shows it's not true. That's right. And even back uh, during Delta days, it was discovered that the vaccinated carry very high viral loads, and in fact, they can carry, you know, in their nasal oral cavity, maybe even higher loads than some unvaccinated people, especially those who have previously been infected and have natural immunity, because their natural immunity kills those that that virus as soon as it starts to enter the the nasal oral cavity. But in any case. Oh, it's a very, very interesting examples of this vilification of the unvaccinated. And Dave, I've got some Trudeau examples here. I got to bring Trudeau in here because, sure. I mean, he's such a fantastic example of all these dynamics we've been talking about. Listen to Trudeau on the campaign trail in late August of 2021. So the folks out there tonight shouted, the anti-vaxxers. 
They're wrong. They're wrong about how we get through this pandemic. And more than just being wrong, because everyone's entitled to their opinions, they are putting at risk their own kids, and they're putting at risk our kids as well. That's why we've been unequivocal. If you want to get on a plane or a train in the coming months, you're going to have to be fully vaccinated. So families uh, with their kids don't have to worry uh, that someone is going to be, put them in danger in the seat next to them or across the aisle. And we know that the way to get through this as well is to make sure that people can go into non-essential businesses and feel safe that they're not going to get uh, catch COVID from someone next to them. And that means we're going to work with provinces and territories who want to move forward on vaccination certifications, on vaccination passports, so that everyone can be safe. And what's more, the federal government has announced we're going to pay uh, for the development of those privileges that you get once you get vaccinated. Because everyone needs to get vaccinated, and those people are putting us all at risk. Right. So, you know, your freedoms are privileges now, uh, but he ends off with the theme throughout this whole clip, which is those people, the anti-vaxxers, are putting everybody at risk and they're putting also your children at risk. Mind the fact that uh, COVID doesn't seem to affect children very much. But anyways, the, the, the non-vaxxers are putting children at risk. And so it's all about stoking fear. And uh, yeah. I have I have a few more examples here because, of course, most of our listeners know that there's been this huge convoy of truckers and other protesters that have descended on our capital city, Ottawa. And they're, of course, protesting against these COVID restrictions, including vaccine mandates. And anybody watching this from other something other than the mainstream media has noticed or anybody who's been there has noticed that the protests are very peaceful. The protesters are certainly nonviolent and that the protest is massive. And this convoy, it's very clear, has received support from all over our nation. People are sending tons of money supporting them. People are showing up uh, at overpasses as the convoy passed through. Uh, but these people are being minimized and vilified in the media, and especially by our prime minister, who you know isn't really dealing with the issue. In fact, he's isolating with COVID. Just think about that, Dave. Our triple vax prime minister has tested positive for COVID, which is a testimony that the vaccines don't work as well as they, was <laughs> they were initially advertised to work. But hey, that doesn't stop him. He still wants to make sure that you get needles in your arm and he's not going to rescind his vaccine mandates. Well, yeah. and, and Dan, <laughs> one of the points being made, I think uh, Canada Pauly, Mark Borelovis made this uh, he, he said, look, if, if this was a, a, a political party, they'd be the best funded political party in Canada because they receive like $10 million convoy, in GoFundMe. The convoy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the Go, their GoFundMe uh, page the fundraising raised something like $10 million. Now, GoFundMe, since there's been political shenanigans, they're, they're, they've shut them down and they're, where hopefully people will get their money back. But the point is, is that this is not, you don't get that from just a tiny, tiny little minority of insignificant people in your country. This would be the best. If if this was like a, one of the recognized political parties, this fundraising campaign would be the most successful out of all of them. Right? Yeah. So um, the narrative that these are in, this is tiny is, is just completely false and misleading. 
Yeah, and of course, uh, GoFundMe was shut down based on political pressure. So what's happening is there's there's Mm -hmm. now essentially economic warfare against this convoy coming from our own government. And not just economic, but informational warfare. There is psychological warfare. I mean, there there is a serious political skirmish happening in Canada right now, and it's very interesting to watch. But anyways, our prime minister did show up and give a few speeches, very few. And again, they're textbook examples of many dynamics that we've been talking about of psychological manipulation, propaganda, narrative control. And especially of the tactic of fomenting fear of a particular people group. Now listen to, the, mm-hmm. to these few mm-hmm. clips. I know you're wondering about what you saw in our capital city this weekend. As my friend Erwin Kotler said on Saturday, freedom of expression, assembly, and association are cornerstones of democracy. But Nazi symbolism, racist imagery, and desecration of war memorials are not. It is an insult to memory and truth. Hate can never be the answer. Over the past few days, Canadians were shocked and frankly disgusted by the behavior displayed by some people protesting in our nation's capital. I want to be very clear. We are not intimidated by those who hurl insults and abuse at small business workers and steal food from the homeless. We won't give in to those who fly racist flags. We won't cave to those who engage in vandalism or dishonor the memory of our veterans. So he clearly says this is not just a peaceful democratic protest. It is, in fact, according to Trudeau, all about Nazi symbolism, racist imagery, desecration of memorials, hate, racist flags, vandalism, stealing the food from the homeless. Okay, so this is how he tries to paint this very bad group, right? And especially when you talk about Nazi symbolism, it's like, fear this group, fear yeah. this group. Okay, here's another clip. Hi, Prime Minister. Thanks for taking our questions. Um, Supporters of this movement will say that it's a small minority of people in this protest who are causing trouble. So is it fair to focus in on the obviously terrible behavior of some and paint all protesters with that brush? I think, obviously, the the right to free expression, the right to assembly, the right to uh, make your displeasure known in a democracy is extraordinarily important and needs to be heeded and respected. But there have been many, many protests over, uh, over the past years that I've seen, uh, that I've been uh, a part of, that I've uh, watched from a distance on Parliament Hill and elsewhere, where people come together angry about a certain thing, wanting something else to change, that don't see the level of hateful rhetoric, of swastikas, of abuse towards their fellow citizens. Hateful rhetoric, swastikas, and abuse, right? These are people, clearly these are people who ought to be feared. Never mind the fact that you have people in this freedom convoy now bringing food to uh, those who are homeless. They're setting up all sorts of interesting 
uh, things to do for children who who come and visit. Yeah. Most of their flags are just the Canadian flags. I my kids went there yeah. and they found no swastikas whatsoever. And maybe the only bit of hateful rhetoric that seems to be in play here is signs that say F Trudeau. <laughs> maybe he's just very Trump, sensitive Trump to Trudeau. that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a truck a, a big big semi that had. Uh, a Canadian and American flag, and then it said, uh, let's go, Brandon, and then truck Trudeau into that. <laughs> truck Trudeau. <laughs> okay, here's another clip, it was pretty good, But Dan, I agree yeah. with you, right? Because because this is the thing, is that we know people, like, um, you know, I took the kids when the, the Freedom Rally went through our town, and there was no, there was absolutely no swastikas. Nobody was defacing anything. It was multiracial, multilingual. It was, it was not, there's no uh, white support premises going on there was nobody desecrating anything it was just canadian patriots out there to fly the canadian flag and sometimes uh, you know a few of these um more explicit things like truck trudeau but but there's absolutely nothing racist but white supremacist or misogynist or homophobic or anti-science or or whatever else you know this part is ludicrous caricature that trudeau has uh, or the the mainstream media has been painting because because now, yes, yes, you do have a couple of crazies here and there, right? And they'll show up, they'll be fully masked, so you have no idea who these people are. Um, and there'll be one guy running, walking around with the, the the Nazi flag, and the media zooms in on that guy. Yeah. Right? Um, instead of the, the, the masses and masses of Canadian patriots that are simply there to do the peaceful thing, which he's trying to dismiss and is hiding from in his cottage. Yeah, and these people with the Nazi flag or whatever, if they're there, they could very well be provocateurs because you're right, like they're always masked up and there's always something odd. And what they don't show is that the crowd around them is telling these people to leave. And they don't say that the organizers of the truck convoy very clearly say that that stuff should not be going on. And if they see it, report it and ask those people to leave. So he's promoting... This idea, he's he's vilifying this group of people, you know, which he other in other times called anti-vaxxers and even some of the politicians, and he's promoting fear. He's devaluing, vilifying uh, those that oppose him. And again, those are, I think, consistent with this first step of dehumanization that you're talking about. Yeah, and and Dan, I gotta say, it's it's sad because listening to these clips, he's either intentionally mischaracterizing all of this, you know, the, the unvaccinated truckers protest, or he's just not living in the same reality that you and I live in. Right. He's talking about all previous riots. Well, he was the one who took the knee at the, at the BLM stuff, but these were people who were burning down cities somewhere before last and looting everything down South. Right? Yeah. The BLM. The, the, yep. the only, the only violence we had so far in Canada that I'm aware of is uh, people that are unhappy with peaceful protests running into protesters with, uh, you know, that was the uh, West, the ones oh. in the area. But, but w- this is absolutely to characterize as anything other than a peaceful protest by grassroots Canadians is wrong. It's, it's a lie. Um, and he needs to be called to repentance by this, but of course our media is not going to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You have to realize Christians are a huge part of this movement. Yeah. Right. Because we stand a lot to lose when there's a system in place that can then control you and 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 um, you know give us your papers, please, this, this, this whole business. Well, we've already seen pastors arrested. We've documented some of that on the show, right? Yeah. Uh, churches facing severe restrictions. If this continues, we stand a lot to lose, and in, in terms of our freedoms. 
Yeah. Um, and, and the government is already with uh, various bills been targeting very specifically Christians and Christian free speech. So of course this movement has a big, big part of that, but Trudeau hates that whole segment of society and is very happy to try to marginalize it and to, and to vilify it. Yeah, Dave, you know, I think all of this uh, Trudeau stuff is a fantastic example of disinformation where government mm-hmm. and media are spinning a tale that's completely opposite to the truth that's on the ground. Right. And, and the way that you deal with that is the way you and I, you know, we've got boots on the ground. We know people. We've been there. All, all, all this kind of stuff. We, you can see it. You can see the, the spin because you're there as a first party witness. Well, the problem is, is we now have a population and especially the older generation that's locked in their homes and has no way to verify, right? They're sequestered safely there in their homes and they have no way to independently verify what the news media is peddling. Mm-hmm. Now, that same generation, right, the, the, and I'm talking largely about the boomer generation now, when they were in the workforce, they would have at least been exposed to counter-information from their better-informed co-workers. Maybe they would have been there. Their mindset would have been different. They would have been less likely to, de- to buy into the fear. But now they, they have no way to actually check that. I mean, UFOs, the media could tell you, oh, UFO just descended is hovering over Washington or over, over Parliament Hill in Ottawa. Uh, show the images, right? We've got the technology to show images like that. Um, and there'd be no way for them to go and verify it, right? That's the nature of lockdowns. That's the nature of of priming the fear pump this way, um, that the only way is to actually boots on the ground verification to show people how the media is simply lying to them. This is the Knock and Form Show. Make sure you tell everyone you know. All right, so the second step of dehumanization, according to this Christian WJM Alting von Gessau, <laughs> crazy long name, um, the second step of dehumanization, he says, is soft exclusion. The group turned into scapegoats is excluded from from certain, though not all, parts of society. They are still considered parts of society, but their status has been downgraded. So you're quoting from the article there. Yeah, that's right. That's that's the, that's how he describes his second step. Okay, right on 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 what is a progression, I guess. Um, so, and and Dan, we we saw this clearly going into Christmas, right? Our mm-hmm. local health department all of a sudden publishes these guidelines that not only mandated vaccine passports in new and more places, salons, haircuts, gym, sports. In fact, our municipality even banned the unvaxxed from all city buildings, um, but. They also strongly encouraged people to ask for proof of vaccination at their social gatherings. Ooh, yes. <laughs> All right. Now, like, here's an excerpt from one of our Northern Ontario newspapers here. Um, Take steps to make social gatherings in private settings as safe as possible. Consider the vaccination status of everyone attending the gathering. For example, it's safest to only gather with individuals who are fully vaccinated, recognizing that some children may not be eligible. Limit the size of your gathering to as few as possible. The fewer people who gather, the lower the risk of COVID-19 transmission. There you go. (laughs) Got to ask grandma for her vax pass. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and well, grandma's usually the other way around. Asking you for the vax pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, that, that's the way it's been playing out in the, in the in the families that I'm aware of anyways. So the other part of this, of course, is the legal docs are are much more 
you know, the, there's a difference between the legal docs and the recommendations that come in the news. And it's a very frustrating, all this ambiguity of all trying to tangle, you know, disentangle what is actually law and what, what as churches we actually have to mm-hmm. follow if we want to follow the law. So it, it's, it's, it's crazy stuff. Yeah, it's very concerning. I've got another great example of soft exclusion, and that is um, back in the fall, there was um, the the View, they were doing this reunion, um, I guess it's been a whole year, so there's a bunch of these reunion shows, I don't know, don't watch it, but but um, this one was an episode of, of Jedediah Bila, um, and she was all of a sudden only allowed to remove, uh, to. she was a, a co-host for quite a while, and so she was she was only allowed to appear remotely on the view on these reunion shows because of course she was unvaccinated. Mm. Right. Um, and so um, I have got this three minute clip. It's, it's too long. We're, I'm not going to play the whole thing. Let me just play the first 20 seconds, which sets up the exclusion. So let's discuss, yeah. let's address the elephant in the room because you were supposed <laughs> to join, you yeah. were supposed to join us in the studios mm-hmm. weeks ago, but you couldn't because ABC has a very strict policy uh, you can't get into this building unless you're fully vaccinated. Everybody in this room knows that and is vaccinated. But you are made a conscious decision not to get the vaccine. Now, the CDC says a person is 10 times less likely to be hospitalized. All right. So I'll just cut it off there. I should have stopped mm-hmm. it just a second earlier there. She, uh, Behar basically spouts all this CDC propaganda um, and then asks her, so why didn't you get vaccinated? Right? Yep. Um, and that, that actually leads into the the clip I have from the third step, but, but, um, you know, she has, this is basically soft exclusion. This is, this is, Oh, you know, vaccines. Well, you can't be here in person. We're going to make some accommodations. We're not kicking you out of society completely yet, but already you're facing serious restrictions on what you can do. Dave, we're also seeing the soft exclusion starting to occur in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the CBC read an article that was titled, Public outrage over the unvaccinated is driving a crisis in bioethics. And uh, the statement after the title is, quote, pandemic brings unprecedented disagreements among doctors over how to triage those who refuse the shots. And it turns out that there are some people that are advocating that one of the core principles of bioethics, which is to treat everyone equally regardless of their prior medical choices when it comes to allocating medical resources, that this principle should be thrown mm-hmm. out and that the vaccinated should get priority over the unvaccinated. And so you're basically essentially doing a soft exclusion of the unvaccinated from equal health care. Isn't that shocking? Also, Dave, I, I, I want to note that uh, the social scientists are well aware of this soft exclusion principle because it helps reinforce the group norms that you want to perpetuate in social groups. And here's a quote from the Nature Human Behavior paper we mentioned earlier. Quote, The behavior of individuals living in communities is regulated by moral norms and values. People who do what is right are respected and publicly admired, while those who do what is wrong are devalued and socially excluded. These mechanisms of social enforcement encourage people to embrace and internalize shared guidelines making them motivated to do what is considered right while avoiding behaviors that seem wrong and do not rely on legal agreements and formal sanctions. And then they go on to say, in this section, we consider how research on morality and cooperation can encourage pro-social behaviors by individuals and groups. 
And then later on in that section, they say several techniques such as sanctioning defectors or rewarding cooperators tend to increase cooperative behavior in laboratory experiments using economic games. So they talk about sanctioning defectors and, and they, they are very mm -hmm. aware of the, of the concept of socially excluding people. And that could be one way that you sanction a defector. You just exclude them from, from society. And I think that's what we're starting to see, you know, whether you're a nurse um, who has been excluded from her, her work at the hospital or a professor who's been excluded from the university or a student who's been excluded from the university. This is being done intentionally and it's essentially driven by scientifically derived ideas. Yeah. You got to sanction the defectors, Dave. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point, Dan. In fact, that leads us right into the third step because the third step of dehumanization, according to our, our friend there publishing in the Brownstone Institute, um, he says, the third step of dehumanization mostly occurring in parallel with the second step. So we got them going on together. This is this is maybe instead of steps as in like a, a stairway, you can think of these as as things that are going on in society towards phases, an end. Phases right? that overlap. Phases. Yeah, overlap, right? Or, or or moves that that can be taken by those wanting to take a country into totalitarianism because these are these are tactics, really, the techniques. Mm -hmm. They're not just things that happen willy nilly. Oh yeah, we're we just somehow happen to get ourselves on the road to totalitarianism. No, this is this is a strategy. <laughs> this is a playbook that is being used. Right? We, and, we tripped and so, into totalitarianism. <laughs> yeah, we, we just sort of tripped and fell into totalitarianism. <laughs> Right? No, I mean, <laughs> as, as much as Trudeau does present himself or, or there's this caricature of him as this bumbling idiot, that, that's not the case, right? That's not the case. Um, and so the third step, mostly occurring in parallel with the second step, is um, executed through the documented justification of the exclusion. Okay, and then he explains, he says, academic research, expert opinions, and scientific studies widely disseminated through vast media coverage are used to underpin the propaganda of fear and the subsequent ex exclusion of specific groups. To explain or to provide evidence why the exclusion is necessary for the good of society or for everybody to stay safe. Ooh. I like Adam Curry's, you know, stay safe is the, is the, is the latest hail Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's an interesting observation. Yeah. And Dan, look in, in numerous episodes, right? We we've documented the censorship of the top scientists citing extensive data, arguing against lockdowns um, and the vaccine mandates, but they continue to be shut out of media. And of course the, the other messaging is what gets through. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And, and a great example of this, Dan, is Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Yes. Right. Because despite it being sold out and a bestseller, right, it has garnered absolutely no media attention. There is a complete blackout. If you were just a mainstream media person, you would never know this book existed. Yeah, because Kennedy is one of the main sources of misinformation, Dave. He's one of the 12, yeah. He's yeah, that's right. He's one of the 12 dozen. bad actors. <laughs> yeah, I think he's like number two or something like that. I forget now. But but he implicates Big Pharma, which is their advertising. So, of course, right? So, so yeah. I was Just, so impressed. Perfectly... I was so impressed by his book, uh, especially by the extent of the references. So he's got mm -hmm. so many references and you can go follow them up. And certainly the stuff that I knew a lot about, he got right. Mm-hmm. So that bodes well for the book. Um, 
But yeah, yeah it's shocking that it wasn't covered. Excellent stuff that you may, you know, I recommend everybody go read this thing because, or listen to the audio or whatever, because there's stuff there that you may not have heard about and history that you may not be aware of. It's, it's fantastic. But Dan, look, look, just getting back to the soft exclusion uh, thing. And, and then, 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 sorry, we're actually, we're at the, uh, dehum- the documentation and justification in step three. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting back to that, uh, the the clip I played, so the, the first 20 seconds sets up the soft exclusion and then Behar spews her CDC propaganda. So why didn't you get it? And then she gives a very rational, I've got this three minute clip. It's probably not worth playing completely. You can just follow our show notes and watch the, uh, you know, whatever it is, the five minute excerpt mm-hmm. um, up on YouTube if it's still up there. But but um, she gives a very rational reason why she didn't get the vaccine, right? She's got broad space immunity and the doctor said no. There's all, all kinds of great reasons. But then what happens is they just go completely mental on her. Yes. Right. And and what they do is... Um, I want to play the 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 part where that's relevant to what we're talking about, and that is this this attempt to document the justification of this censorship and and her exclusion. So listen to this. So I just, I just, I just so really again, don't think that we again, should allow Sonny, this kind of misinformation again, um, on, again, on Sonny, our website. Again, Sonny, I am prioritizing. We've had the United States Surgeon General debunk. Yes, I heard what he said. Everything that you've just said, and I, I just don't think no. we should, we should so al- when you allow have this Surgeon kind General of misinformation on, all, on our air. I'm, Sonny, I'm really sorry, Sonny, my friend. First of all, I'm really sorry. Sonny, and then shortly after that is Whoopi Goldberg that says, uh, "Judge, you should be familiar with this. We got to go to break," and so they don't let her, you know. Um, really, actually, no, there's another segment there, but, uh, the point is, is that, uh, they don't want, there's a absolutely an exclusion of any information that is contrary to the narrative that's being peddled. Yeah. And again, smearing things as misinformation, if they are said, if they are allowed Mm -hmm. on air, then it's just very quickly smeared by the, by these terms like misinformation or conspiracy, conspiracy theory and so on. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of media bias, Dave, and uh, I got a few clips from an interview of media professor David Haskell, and the interview was conducted by former ethics professor Julie Panessi, and uh, he's talking about this media bias. Um, we have databases at Laurier, newspaper databases, so it gives you all of the newspapers that are available here in Canada. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I will look up what, what's been going on in terms of certain studies related to the COVID-19 vaccine. So this morning I, I went looking for media bias. So using these databases, I did a search of all the major news outlets. I looked at the Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, National Post, CBC, CTV, Global News. And I even looked at their affiliates as well. And I wanted to see if any of our mainstream media had sent, said anything, if they even had a single article on the half dozen academic reports and studies that have been published since September. Now these studies, you're aware of them, I'm sure your audiences, have shown that the vaccinated and the unvaccinated catch and spread the COVID virus in near equal measure or an equal measure, depending on the study. Sometimes it's so unvaccinated I, more so, some of the studies. Exactly, and, and so, so we know that this is the case. We've got these academic reports. But out of all mainstream media in Canada, since the fall, only one media outlet had a single report about 
these half dozen studies. And I say the half dozen, there are more, but half dozen that have appeared in reputable journals. Uh, and, and several of them are peer reviewed. And I'll tell you who was the one that, that did publish. It was the Sun Media Chain. Uh, and they've been guess. fairly fairly <laughs> good. You know, they've been trying their best to, to be neutral, I believe. But even there, it was a single article of 134 words. And, and it was uh, about that bombshell study that had just come out at the end of October in the Lancet. So the Lancet Medical Journal uh, looked at transmission uh, the viral load and transmission among the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And it was in the UK. And they found that they catch and spread it about equally. So this is major, right? It's a peer-reviewed study in a prestigious journal. You would think that totally every, ignored. Uh, totally ignored. Yeah, and I have another quick example here from David Haskell. This was my test this morning to see what was going on. And then I, I just on a whim, I looked again and I said, okay, what else has been a bombshell report? So the British, uh, the British Medical Journal, again, one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world, did it, uh, an investigative report. And I think that this one, again, was the beginning of November, right? So fairly, fairly recently. And it was a report by a guy, Paul Thacker. So anyway, it should have caught the attention of every news outlet in Canada because it revealed that Pfizer has been lying about the safety of its vaccine. Right. So we're going to include a link to the British Medical Journal whistleblower report in the show notes, Dave. Make sure that we do that. Do that. But this yeah. is a good example of step three, where you essentially start to justify the exclusion of the minority. And you do that by having academic researchers opine on the topic, but also by biasing the evidence that's available in the public square. And then before we move on, I want to also mention here, I'll link in the show notes, an article uh, talking about the fact that Pfizer themselves have asked the FDA to further delay the release of COVID vaccine safety data. So they, they, there's been a request uh, uh, for just a freedom of information type request to get that data available to the public. And um, they first asked for something like 40 years and then they asked for 75 years to get it all out because they said, oh, we don't have enough people to process all the pages and pages of information that it would take to fill, fulfill this FOIA request. And um, the judge said, no, you're going to have eight months. Um, and when you think about it, it's insane because if they've got all these pages and pages of information, so theoretically they would have to review all the pages and pages of information in order to actually put the vaccine out there so they would be uh, so that they would have the safety data in their heads before they decided to apply for FDA approval. So it's completely a stall political tactic. It's insane, right? Um, and hopefully, um, I'm not sure where that's at right now, but the judge is uh, is, is is fortunately not bending to their uh, of stall tactic. And it's another data point for those of us who have some hesitancy. Is like if you won't show me the data, how do you expect me to trust it? What are they hiding? This is the Not Conform Show. Make sure you tell everyone you know. All right, so moving on, we got the fourth step. Um, the fourth, and I'm reading here, the fourth step of dehumanization is hard exclusion. Ooh. The group that is now proven to be the cause of society's problems and current impasse is subsequently excluded from civil society as a whole 
and becomes rightless. They no longer have a voice in society because they are deemed not to be a part of it anymore. In the extreme version of this, they are no longer entitled to the protection of their fundamental rights. And when it comes to corona measures imposed by governments worldwide to varying degrees, in some places we are already seeing developments leading to this fourth stage, end quote. Dave, I got an example. Professor Noam Chomsky recommends Mm. going step four crazy. Listen to this. Um, When you talk about folks having the uh, freedom to you know, separate if they don't want to abide by these vaccine mandates. What would that look like on a practical level? Does that mean that folks uh, need to just stay home and have like groceries delivered to them? Does it mean like separated communities of folks who are unvaccinated or just, you know, how do you think this would practically play out? Same way as with people who say that I don't want to, re- I don't want to accept traffic rules. I suppose there were people who said it's an attack on my liberty to make me stop at a red light. It's government overreach. We don't want the state to have that power over my private life. Well, such people have to be, they should have the decency to remove themselves from the community. If they refuse to do that, then measures have to be taken to safeguard the community from them. Then comes the practical question that you ask, uh, how can we get food to them? Well, that's actually their problem. Uh, Of course, if they really become destitute, then yes, you'd have to move in with some measure to uh, secure their survival, uh, just as you do with people in jail, for example. But uh, that's really not the issue. Dave, this is nutty, man. He's arguing that the unvaccinated people should be removed from society. He suggests that the unvaccinated should be treated like prisoners. And, you know, he trots out the that inane analogy that I keep hearing, saying that submitting to invasive experimental and failing COVID-19 injections is like submitting to traffic rules. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. Medical ethics are quite different from traffic rules, Noam. There are special protections for individuals and virtually all of our medical ethics codes, Noam, since when have you become a totalitarian top-down control extremist, Noam? (laughs) Oh, man. Chomsky says that the unvaxxed have to be separated from society and that they have to figure out how to provide for themselves. Well, I would suggest that we just go and create our separate parallel society in which, yeah, we do take care of ourselves. Yeah, I agree, except the the weird part is, and this is what shows their totalitarian tendencies, is that they won't let us. They're doing everything to stop that, right? To, uh, to stop that kind of formation of, of just freedom-loving people to do anything like that. Um, and, and Dan, it's sad to watch, especially with Chomsky, because our listeners might remember from our initial few episodes that Chomsky, he was the guy who who demonstrated the media is largely controlled and that media messaging was aimed at manufacturing consent in a population. That's his book, right? Manufacturing consent. Um, and it's just sad to watch him degenerate to all of this. Yeah, it's uh, elderly abuse. It's elderly abuse, yeah. Dave. At 94 years of age, Chomsky seems to have been caught in the media manufactured web of information control that he himself spoke out against. It's pretty sad. They finally got him. And, and see, that's the fear propaganda, getting the best of a frail old man who, at least according to Wikipedia, is non-religious and a socialist. 
Yeah. Right? So he's got, I mean, all he's got is just living out whatever days he's got left. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I'm actually, I, I see this with, um, there, there is a generational thing going on here because, because um, the frailer you get, the more subject, subject you are to the particular messaging that's the fear messaging that the media is pushing out right now. Mm-hmm. I agree. So Dan, I, I've got another example uh, of um, the stage here in Australia, and there was an interview on the Unheard podcast. That's a YouTube channel, and uh, it's one of these great, um, great things to keep track of. And this one was with the the interview interviewee was Haley Hodgson. Okay, and um, so Haley Hodgson, she's twenty six. She moves to Darwin from Melbourne to escape the never ending lockdowns only to find herself locked up in a COVID internment camp without even ever having the virus. <laughs> that's, the, that's the podcast description there. And it's a very interesting 20-minute interview. And, and her story, it, it goes like this, basically, that the, a friend of hers tested positive and she gets contact traced. Okay, mm. And it's even interesting how uh, you mentioned the technocracy, how she gets contract traced, because she um, they pull her moped license plate, if I remember correctly, from a security cam as someone who was in contact with the guy who tested positive. Wow. So it's a contact right? trace through a moped license plate. That's weird. On, on, on a camera just sitting there somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, so she didn't have to get named. They just, the, 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 the tech got her, right? And so is this they, in they China? Her and they, is this in China? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Australia, right? It's I Australia. Mean, this is the, this <laughs> okay. is the worrisome, worrisome part of it. And yeah. so they ask her, um, "Have you been recently tested?" And and she's been trying to get away from this stuff, so she's afraid. And unfortunately, she lies and says, "Yes, I was tested." Um, and in fact, it says a lot about the approach of the authorities in various places, namely Australia. The people are afraid of them, right? Um, because they're afraid of what will happen to them, not just being having to stay home, but what's going to happen. And her worst fears comes true because they look her up, they can't find her in the database. Big Brother doesn't have her being tested. So they punish her. And even though she subse- subsequently tests negative on multiple occasions, they send her to this COVID internment camp just to punish her. Even though others in the same contact tracing group are allowed to quarantine at home. Retribution. Yep. So I have this clip, and just just prior to this clip, they... The, uh, in the interview plays a video that she took of an altercation where she just stepped out of her porch in this COVID camp unmasked outside. Okay. And the audio is faint. It, it, it's great, but it doesn't make a great clip because you can barely hear what these authoritarian bureaucrats are saying, but you can hear their typical ex- excuses, right? These authoritarian bureaucratic excuses. Oh, I didn't, I didn't make the rules. They've got nothing to do with me. My job is just to make sure the rules are followed. You know, yeah, that's right. The, the typical. I'm stuff. just doing what I'm told. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so here's the here's the clip. Uh, it's a minute seventeen. So, what did that experience make you think? Like, what what was your feeling about being in that situation with those people in control of your every movement? Oh, it's horrible. It's a horrible feeling. You feel like you're in prison you feel like you've done something wrong it's inhumane what they're doing like you you are so small you they just overpower you and you're literally nothing it's like you do what we say or you're in trouble we'll lock you up for longer yeah they were even threatening me that if I was to do this again we will extend your time in here 
So the, the officers within the camp have the power to keep you there longer if you misbehave. That's what that was saying, yep. And at one stage, is it true that they offered you Valium? Yeah, so because I was so distressed and I said, can you just please let me out for a walk or a run? Like I'm in this little box and I can't move. Can I please, I'm, you know, I'm anxious. I'm feeling not well, just I need to get out. And they literally said, we've got a doctor calling you and we'll get some Valium prescribed to you that you can call us anytime you like and you can have Valium. Just to calm you down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they offer her drugs. They offer yes. her drugs to make her internment more tolerable, Dan. <laughs> this, is, this is eerily like something out of the mind of Aldous Huxley in Brave New World. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Our man Aldous. That's right. He was, he was the guy who prophesied that this would all come to fruition. <laughs> this would all happen. <laughs> yeah. I think I got those clips here somewhere. Play this the is, ISO. That's the best one. The ISO clip? If you are going yeah. to control any population for any length of time, you must get people actually to love their servitude. Yeah, and I've got a, a longer quote here from, um, uh, supposedly, the, the way it's attributed is to a speech at California Medical School in 1961, mm. uh, where he said this, he says, there will be in the next generation or so a pharmacological method of making people love their servitude mm -hmm. and producing dictatorship without tears, so to speak, producing a, a kind of painless concentration camp for entire society so that people will in fact have their liberties taken away from them, but will rather enjoy it because they will be distracted from any desire to rebel by propaganda or brainwashing or brainwashing enhanced by pharmacological methods. And this seems to be the final revolution. <laughs> yes. And he uh, he's, yeah, he said that similar kind of sentiments in other places as well. And you're yeah. going to need the drugs because as the woman said in that clip you played, it's what they were doing to her was inhumane, inhumane. And Dave, I just want to follow up on one other. Hole. Yeah. I want to follow up on, on one other point you made. So look, there are some people here who are basically incarcerating her and, and they say they're just following the rules. And I think the other dynamic that's unfolding there is they realize that if they don't do that to her, then they will be in violation and somebody else will do that to them. So there's mm -hmm. the, you've already now created that fear dynamic where the, the people will hurt other people because they're afraid that if they don't follow orders, they themselves will be hurt. And that's characteristic of these totalitarian control systems. So the fact that's going on down in Australia is very frightening. Yeah, that's a great point, Dan. And I've got two more clips from the same episode. Um, there, it explains itself. So let me just keep rolling this. So when did this end, Haley? You were in there for the full 14 days? Yeah, correct. Yeah, 14 days. And that was a few days ago that you came out? Yeah, I think I've been out a week and a half now. So during that whole time, how many times were you tested? And did you ever test positive? Never tested positive at all. And I was tested three times. So at the moment, you haven't had COVID? never had COVID and I was of close contact to someone, never got it. And I was treated literally like a criminal. So notice that she never tested positive. She, she never had COVID, but she was treated like a criminal and she, yes, she lied, but mm -hmm. even if she lied, she was never given any due process. Right. And then yeah, that's um, near the end, the, that's, that's crazy, right? It's, it was 
clearly punitive. And, and later the interview asked her, so what comes next? And she's got to get a job. So she's lost her job out of this, right? And this is the whole thing. These, these interment people, they don't care what happens to you. you. You get your, you go to camp and then good luck. You know, they open yep. the door. It's like, it'll get out of prison. All right, see ya. We, we've got no more responsibility towards you. So she's lost her job as a result of this because she didn't have a, a salary job. She was a, um, you know, occasional um, or, you know, hourly worker. And then um, in this last clip, they get to this business about the legal process. So let me just, uh, let me play that one too. Um, and really want to get awareness out to what is going on. Like these camps are getting built all over the world. I know there's another one getting built in Victoria at the moment. And as I said, it doesn't matter if you're not vaccinated. One, you know, you have one dosage of the vaccination or two. It doesn't matter your vaccination status. You can get sent to these camps if you are of close contact, like I was, um, or if you lie to authorities, as as I found out, because I said that I had a test when I hadn't, and then I found out later that um, I was in there for punishment. Who told you that? CDC, Centre Disease Control. So they, I found so they say that your sentence, your two-week incarceration was actually punishment for having said you got a test and, and when you didn't. Yeah, yeah. Where when other people were of close contact and they were allowed to self-isolate at home where there was probably about 10 of them and I was the only one that got sent there and that's what I was saying. Like, it doesn't make sense. Why am I the only one here? I, I want answers to this. And that was the only time that I got an answer is when I rang CDC and they said, yeah, there's a high chance that you're in there for punishment because you lied to authorities. At any stage of this process, did anyone tell you your rights? Have you had any contact with a lawyer? Has there been any kind of legal process? Nothing. I've had nothing. I, um, yeah, literally, it's just, it's so hard. No, no one really wants, nobody knows. That's the thing. So it's like you're on your own in these situations and, you know, you just left. That, that's all. Like there's no help when you're in this camp and there's no help when you're out of this camp like it's just you do your time and we'll leave you alone that's all there is yeah it seems like they're in a state of lawlessness right now and i think we're in a state of lawlessness here um it mm. seems that any kind of regular law or due process can be suspended and it could just be replaced with these mandates and diktats from health authorities this is very concerning yeah, Dan, and the only reason I'd say this goes in step four is because it's a clear violation of her rights, but she gets out. Ah. Okay, in step five, you don't get out. <laughs> oh, boy. Right? And so it's it's very chilling that we have Western democracies doing this. In fact, I've got one more example before we get to step five is this is, um, I came across this one in Edward G. Edward Griffin's newsletter, and he had a, a link to a Tucker Carlson segment where Tucker picks up this unheard segment, the one we just listened to, and then he also has on an Australian senator who was sent to a COVID camp for dissenting to lockdown rules. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so the the uh, I'll put the article in there and um, in the show notes and and listen to this. This is uh, yeah. Well, I'll just play the first two minutes of this clip here. So this is happening to a lot of people in Australia, and not just the powerless. An Australian senator who has been critical of COVID restrictions, was recently forced into a quarantine camp despite testing negative for COVID repeatedly. And now the government of Australia, which he has criticized, just sent him a $4,000 bill 
while he's in detention. Hard to believe it's real, but it is. That Senator Alex Antic joins us now. Mr. Antic, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Tucker. It, yeah. uh, again, everything about this is impossible to believe, given the very warm and positive feelings most Americans, including me, have for your country. Are we overstating any of this? Well, the only thing that's not right about that so far, Tucker, is that I haven't got the bill yet. I'm led to believe I will have. That's written into law here, but that's really a sideline issue here. Uh, no, look, you're not. Um, I have been concerned about some of the powers that have been gifted to the unelected bureaucracy in this country for a long period of time. I've spoken about them uh, quite forcefully. Uh, and in fact, I've been seeking documentation very recently from our local health bureaucrats, which were uh, effectively uh, uh, up, upscaled up to a higher body uh, a week before I was told that uh, upon my return from my job uh, in Canberra, which you'll know is uh, effectively our Washington, uh, yes. I would be uh, asked to come into, well, told, I should say, to come into a Medi Hotel, which in Australian parlance is, uh, is a hotel which has been turned into a detainment facility. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that, that, that was completely out of step with other people's experiences, completely out of step with what had been done in my previous trips to Canberra and back. Uh, but here's the kicker, and here's the thing that, uh, that, that gives away uh, what was going on here, Tucker, uh, is that 10 minutes after I found that information out, I got a call from a journalist who also knew about it, who also knew all the details. And when I arrived at the airport, there was a camera crew and a photographer and a journalist all there to capture it. Tucker, the message is real. If, uh, if, if people want to speak out and they can do this to me, they can do it to anyone. I've never been more concerned about the things that are going on in this country. Well, it's just absolutely beyond belief. I mean, if you're forcing someone who, but you don't have COVID and you've been tested multiple no. times, as I understand, right? Okay. If you can force an opposition politician into an internment camp for no real reason, then, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to attack Australia, which again, everyone in America loves, but that's not the way we understand democracy at all, like at all. No, and, and, just, and just to correct that, I'm actually a member of the, the government, of both the state and the federal government. So I, I, I meant, I meant. So let's just stop it there. But, uh, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got those camps, or sorry, those hotels here in Canada, <laughs> right? That we've, we've got some horror stories from people out of those hotels. If you watch, um, you know, various uh, Rebel News and various other sources mm -hmm. that document this from people, and um, this, this guy, again, the, the news media seemed to somehow know before he did that this was going to happen. Yeah. That's a little fishy. Yeah, that's right. It, right? It, it, it does not seem like democracy down under. Right. And, and that's what, that, that's the, you know, that's Tucker's point, And that's why I actually clipped it is because this is not how we understand democracy. And it, this is not how it ought to behave and unfortunately, we're seeing that approach also now traipsing across the West, uh, across to Canada as well, because the same rhetoric and tools are being used in, in on our side of the pond. Yeah, and I think it's because, again, we're a Commonwealth country, and what they do in one Commonwealth country may very well come to the other Commonwealth countries, and we're going to see the same playbook being applied applied over here. Right, Dan, so fifth step, again here quoting, the fifth and final step of dehumanization is extermination, social or physical. The excluded group is forcefully ejected from society, either by any participation in society being made impossible or their banishment to the camps, ghettos, prisons, and medical facilities. 
Okay. Right, do you so, think we're there yet, Dave? Do you think we're at step five? Well, I I think we're I think we're if we allow the country to go there, it could go there. You know, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like even in Australia, I think she got out, right? And so yeah. it was it was still it was still step four. Um, but look, there there's Austria. Austria is an example now. Um, things are looking up a little bit, but actually not that much. Um, the, I got this clip. This was another uh, Freddie Sayers unheard. This was from, um, I can't remember the date when he recorded this. It was late fall. And um, he has he did an episode on the Austrian lockdowns. Freddie Sayers investigates. Um, oh, here it is. Freddie Sayers investigates Austria's lockdowns of the unvaccinated, November 17th, 2021. Um, and he does this on the street interview in Vienna on this thing. And... Um, he 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 interviews a few people on just on their opinions on the lockdown and it's shocking what comes out of their mouths hello and welcome to unheard i'm freddie sayers i'm here in vienna the capital of austria you can see the rathaus the parliament building just behind me and it's an apparently ordinary quite gloomy november morning except it's not actually an ordinary morning because at midnight last night a new law came into place which said that anyone who is not vaccinated is not legally allowed to leave their home except for certain prescribed reasons. In other words, it is the world's first lockdown for the unvaccinated. I wanted to come here to find out what does a society feel like where a third of the population has been kept at home in mandatory house arrest? What do the people who are walking around feel about that new reality and perhaps most importantly, what does it feel like for those people stuck at home? I think it comes much too late. And I think, I'm, think it's very unfair of people who are not for health reasons not taking a vaccine because that's obvious, you know. But all the others, they're crazy. And all the trouble we have is due to those people who believe in, I don't know, the earth is flat. <laughs> So how long would you be happy for them to be stuck at home for? Uh, I don't think that will help, that's the thing. But what, is, what makes me hopeful is that now some of those people who refuse to have a vaccine are now thinking of having second thoughts because they have no access to restaurants, they have no access to theatre or anything. And I know people like that do now all of a sudden they're in a hurry to get a vaccine. So you're not worried that a whole little part of society is just invisible now, stuck at home? If the, if the majority of society depends on idiots, then we can't be helped, and that's the end of society. No, no, I don't think. We had it for everybody some times ago, so I think it's now for a special group, and they should do it. No, I think it's, I think it's the right way, because... Uh, because um, uh, the the um, cases are getting higher and higher and higher and the problems are the non-vaccinated people so I'm fine with that. Isn't it true that you can still transmit if you're vaccinated? I, what what you mean? You can still pass the corona on. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I think everybody should do what we can do yeah. and to be vaccinated it's the very best option we have so everybody should do that. Don't confront me with counter evidence. <laughs> That's right. And notice how they're devaluing the unvax. I think one of them said they referred to the unvax as idiots. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, they seem like they all want them to be 
confined to their homes. And I like how Freddie uses the term house arrest because that's what it's mm-hmm. like. But Dave, is it, is this, would this be step five? Is house arrest step five? You think? Well, like you're not in the gulags. I, <laughs> you're still in your house. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think my, my thinking is that, um, we're, the definition here is is whether you're you you can't participate in society, whether you're excluded in by just you can't you're you know you're banished because it's not possible to participate, or whether you're actually locked in the camps. Um, it doesn't matter, right? And the 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 finality of it, I think, is step five. That's the nature of it. So I don't know. I don't want to necessarily. I think it points to step five at the very least, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's, it's very chilling to see where these people, um, see what should their analysis of what should happen and how comfortable they are with this kind of approach. That's the chilling part. So I, I hope we get to see step five and maybe never see it in this pandemic, but mm-hmm. it's a, it's a real concern. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds a lot like the Noam Chomsky quote. The, the Noam Chomsky mm-hmm. clip, right? Like these are people who are, would be excited about a step five or who would be okay with a step five or something like a step five, <laughs> at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, 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 I guess it shouldn't surprise us, right? This is the country that welcomed Hitler with open arms. So, um, you know, at least those with the same mentality did, right? But and yeah. by the time they woke up, it was kind of too late and they had mm-hmm. a real tough time um, resisting. But um, I've, I've got one more clip here from that... Um, some of Freddie's reflections. So let me play that too. We have taken refuge from the cold in one of Vienna's many cafes. And I suppose the impression I have so far is of the boiled frog syndrome in action, where because of the strangeness of the past couple of years, the norms have changed so gradually that no one here really thinks that much about the idea of locking up a third of your population in their homes. If the practical effect of it was driving it, that would be one thing. The sense that it could really change the pandemic. If, for example, vaccinated people were not transmitting and only the unvaccinated were the cause of any transmission, that might be a bit more understandable. But you don't find that people are talking about that. And when I raise the fact that vaccinated people can also transmit the disease, people aren't especially interested. And I suppose it feels like it's become more of a class issue. There is a part of society that the rest of society just doesn't like very much. And to watch that in action, to see people's hardening attitude to them as they, instead of thinking this is something sad and reluctant that they have to do, but it's necessary, almost quite relish the chance to to punish or to draw a line under these people whose behavior is unacceptable. That's quite difficult to watch. See, they've been effectively dehumanized. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I had this under this section when I couldn't get in my thoughts on this, because it's there's a finality to the way people have come to think about the unvaccinated that is chilling. Yeah, we've got to think of these five steps really as or stages uh, in in a maybe not a categorical way, right? Because right, you could right. just as well use this as as an example of some of the earlier stages. 
in, in the sense yeah. people are being devalued and so on, right? So, yeah, but yeah, the, but that's yeah, why I talked about it as a playbook and, and plays in a book rather than maybe a set of steps that you're descending, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's very and, interesting, and, yeah. And the other reason why I had this, uh, because at the time of recording, one of the one of the proposals that they were seriously talking about at the time was that they were going to incarcerate, like put in jail. Yeah, I remember anybody this. that resisted the mandate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right now, the latest uh, I looked this up uh, just today, and this is from a February fourth article in ABC News. But what they've done is they have actually enacted the mandate. Um, they uh, and and fortunately, now it's very interesting how. How the articles, I'll put another article from the Washington Post, but this this uh, ABC News article, Austria vaccine mandate takes effect, but few emulating it. Um, you know, and, and this, this idea of like, crap, we, this, is a great, this is a great idea, Austria. Why aren't we doing this? That's that's the messaging that comes in the headlines in these articles, right? Wow. Um, you know, Washington Post, January 31st, to mandate or not to mandate, all eyes on Austria's vaccination requirement for all adults comes into force. Right. As if this was a like a like, you know, a conversation that we should be having rather than the media pointing out, yikes, people, what are you doing over there? You didn't get this right the first time. Now it's round two and you're not getting it right again. <laughs> right. Yeah. See, the media that's are the, all that's in. What the headline should be. Yeah. The media are, are the media are all in on the yep. totalitarianism. Yeah. And, and so what's happened is I understand in Austria. And, and if anybody knows better, just uh, send us an email to, to correct and we'll correct it in the next show. But what, what's happened is that there is a mandate and they moved it up from 14 to 18. So any adult has to be vaccinated. And now that what they're doing is that there doesn't seem to be talk of the forced, uh, forced incarceration now, because that was the idea. You can just mm-hmm. be in jail and you don't get out of jail till you get done. Mm-hmm. That was what we were worried about back in late November, December for Austria. Now here, here's the quote. So this is from ABC news. Um, only in mid-March, they're, they're trying to say, well, they've sort of backed off. They're going to remove all of these um, all these restrictions. They're going to stop checking for vax ports, and they're going to open things up. But but then, um, in mid-March, police will start, and it says only in mid-March, as if yes. this is like, oh, we're, we're giving you extra time, right? Yeah. Um, only in mid-March will police start checking people's vaccination status during traffic stops and checks on coronavirus restrictions, Right. People who can't produce proof of vaccination will be asked in writing to do so and will be fined up to 600 euros, right? That's 680, that would be US, if they don't. Fines could reach 3,600 euros if people contest their punishment. So like about $5,000 Canadian, right? Um, yeah, that's fine. expensive. So your papers, please. And if you can't produce your papers, you can be fined up to five grand. Right. Yeah. That's um, and then sad. in a third phase, it says third phase. In a third phase, officials will check the national vaccination register and send reminders to people who still aren't vaccinated, leading to potential fines. When and if those method- methodical checks, <laughs> methodical Austrian precision, methodical checks. Um, when and if those methodical checks start depends on whether the authorities deem vaccination progress sufficient. So hey, you did it to yourselves, you stupid resistors. If we come for you with the baton. Right. It's, 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 this is a, this is, yeah, they walked back a little bit on February one, you're all going to jail, but um, they're only going to roll out mid-March and then it's going to go. But this is, this is, this is stage five. Yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly getting there, in society. Dave, we shouldn't, we shouldn't bash Austria too much though. Cause remember when we were fle- fleeing then totalitarian uh, Czechoslovakia, communist Czechoslovakia. They took us our, in. They took us in. They took our family in yeah. as, as refugees, right? So we have to, 
Right. You know, every every nation has its has its good moments and its bad moments. And uh, let's just hope that this bad moment stops soon. <laughs> <laughs> right. And well, the point of calling it out is not to not to bash them, but to call it out and hopefully put a check to it. Because the fact is, uh, the reason the government backed down to this level is that we've seen, like our truckers march, massive resistance. Right yeah. amongst that thirty percent of the population, and and a great outcry across Europe, across actually many uh, many jurisdictions, many countries, uh, against this kind of tyranny. And so, uh, unless that continues on force, this is what the authorities want to do. Yeah, right. No, to mandate or not to mandate? Oh, to be or not to be? Oh, I think we're going to be. We're going to mandate, and uh, off you go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I remember Dr. Malone talking about physicians being locked up in mental institutions in Spain if they dissented against the the COVID uh, vaccine narrative. Yeah, I'd like to have, I wish there was some independent confirmation of that because I think he heard that from one of the physicians there. And Yeah, it could be, it could be true, yeah. It it would be good to get the evidence on that, but yeah, that's scary. If uh, even the fact uh, that this uh, is talked about is (laughs) concerning. Yeah, yeah. And look, in Canada, this is the kind of articles we've been hearing that they've been programming us with. The post-millennial had this in November. 70% of Canadians want the unvaccinated fired from their job poll. Oh, right? That's yeah. poll, right? Um, CTV News uh, in January 11th to impose significant financial penalty against people who refuse to get vaccinated. Sorry, I, I, that must be Quebec to impose significant financial penalty against people who refuse to get vaccinated. Now, of course, it's only because of the outcry, the national outcry, that they have walked their back on this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? You were talking about a bioethicist. Uh, we don't have time to play the clip, but I'll put the... She ha- It's chilling in Rebel News, January 11th. We cannot allow you to circulate freely, says bioethicists, who delivers warning to unvaccinated Canadians. Right? There's a great two-minute clip there. Mm-hmm. Um, Global News, January 12th. Um, commentary. This is from the National. It's time to really ramp up pressure on the unvaccinated. Right here's a here's an excerpt. So, how hard should Canada be punishing unvaccinated citizens to finally get inoculated against COVID nineteen? We should be punishing them extremely hard. We should be persuading and pressuring vaccine holdouts in every way we can think of: educating, incentivizing, penalizing. Short of all-out public shaming and frog-marching them to clinics and forcing needles into their arms. Well, Yikes. I'm sorry, but you you haven't stopped short of public shaming because that's what you're doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, the only thing we haven't been is frog-marching them. And um, here's the next paragraph. But, but, should, but such a measure should come as no surprise. The pressure has been building for weeks in Canada and beyond. Anger over the unfathomable failure of the unvaccinated to roll up their sleeves and take a jab for the sake of their own health, if not for the thousands of vulnerable citizens who could die because of their resistance, has been simmering among the vaccinated and threatening to boil over. <laughs> right? Just complete programming of how you should think about this, this uh, that we're just unfathomable failures, Dan, you yeah. and I, right? Unfathomable failures. And um, a day for our young listeners, we should define frog marching. So <laughs> I have the definition here in the search engine popped up Oxford languages, definitions from Oxford languages, force someone to walk forward by holding and pinning their arms from behind. So it's what you see, you know, when the perpetrator is being, being walked out and the idea here is actually taking them like that and get, get, taking mm-hmm. them to a vaccine center and getting them vaccinated, so violating their bodily autonomy in so doing. And this kind of stuff, I mean, people have got to pause and really think deeply. 
And it's, you know, it's already affecting me. I've already been banned from my campus. And Dave, you're saying that we're just a few steps away from the gulags. That's, uh, that's great. Um, do, do you think they'll let me podcast from the gulags? <laughs> Probably not, eh? <laughs> I don't know. I think our strategy has got to be is pack, pack our, our COVID camp bug out bag, you know, put up a little bit of podcasting gear in there when they come against gravity. That's it. right. We're going to be, we're going to be individually canceled yeah. and then we're going to be carried out to, to the gulags. And that's going to be the end of our podcasting careers. But Dave, I just want to, I wish yeah. you close up here because we're getting, we're getting on in time here. And yeah. I just want to read a quick section, a short section of a paper by sociologist Abram Deswan. He's a well-known sociologist who is discussing the ideas of another famous sociologist, Norbert Elias. And uh, he or they talk about the civilizing and de-civilizing processes in societies. And basically the civilizing process is when you're building society and then the de-civilizing process is when you essentially you start to in, in some ways, break down the positive aspects of society. And it bears some similarities to the five stages of dehumanization that we've been discussing. Mm -hmm. One argument that's made by Deswan is that the decivilizing process in society occurs when the state starts to monopolize the ability to engage in violence. And mm -hmm. so some of our American uh, listeners are going to maybe like this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a quote here. Quote, the monopolization of violence by the state may result in the overall civilization of society. And yet, in certain cases, these civilized canons may nevertheless exclude certain categories of citizens from protection who will then be exposed to all the violent resources of the state monopoly. The regime may mobilize the entire machinery of the state to persecute and annihilate this target group, and this more thoroughly than could have been achieved in societies where the state apparatus has not succeeded in monopolizing the means of violence so effectively. In the process of bringing about this destruction, the intended victims must first be identified, they must be registered, they must be isolated, and made the object of a persistent campaign of vilification and dehumanization. Hatred and loathing must be evoked against them among the population at large. This is what I have called elsewhere the social work of disidentification, which goes together with a campaign to strengthen positive identifications among the rest of the population. In the next phase, special units must be recruited and trained to round up, isolate, and destroy the target population. And for this task, specific locations must be screened off from the uninitiated so that the torturing and killing may proceed unnoticed, but not unbeknownst to them, in reservations of destruction. Thus, in a psychological, a social, and a spatial sense, this process occurs as one of compartmentalization. End quote. So it's, it wow. seems to really capture the process here. And of course, he was talking <clears throat> about the various uh, totalitarian regimes in history because we've mm -hmm. seen this pattern unfold many times, but I think it follows that same general progression, right? You got to identify people, you got to devalue them, and then you start to isolate them, and then you can actually turn the monopolized uh, violence that you that you possess as a state against these people, and you do that, you know, in these isolated areas, out of the view of 
the general population, and then you can do with the people whatever you want once they're compartmentalized in, in, in this way. So he talks about this as a dynamic that unfolds in societies, and maybe we're at that stage of disidentification right now as the unvaccinated. Yeah, it's a, it's a real 1984 scenario, isn't it, that this guy paints? And, uh, you know, a friend of mine in New Brunswick who um, had to, well, I mean, he elected to take the vaccine because otherwise there was no way for him to provide for his family. And he talks about just all of a sudden, you know, the next day after the, the, the drop deadline, that, that there's this whole segment of the workforce that has disappeared. They're just not there. And nobody wants to talk about where they went. What yes. happened to them? Right. Cause he works in the government sector. So, uh, I mean, he sees this and like everybody acknowledges that this is reality, but then everybody's just, just goes on in the wind, you know, and yeah. nobody's talking to these people who have been completely disenfranchised now. Yep. Yeah. And so th- these are the interesting dynamics that are at play and it's just eerie, mm-hmm. you know, whether there are these, these stages and in some order or whatever, that's, you know, we can sit there and debate mm-hmm. that. But when you look at the pattern that's there and you try to match it to what's unfolding in our societies today, you start to see these similarities and we hope to have drawn some of those out in this episode. Yeah. yeah and the good news, well, first of all, let me say this. Uh, one of the reasons I'm interested in this, especially because the division is happening, not only out there um, as Christians, we sort of would expect that society goes bonkers, but unfortunately we're seeing a lot of the, the, the division also starting to manifest in our churches where there are people that have adopted that um, uh, that view of the unvaccinated, and um, it's it's starting to divide uh, congregations in some places um, that that I'm aware of, and 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 this is uh, it's very important for us to start countering the narrative and to to insist that we live in the truth, right? That the data that we actually are. Uh, look at the data. Look at look at what if we're if we're all about oh follow the science. Well, then we actually follow what the real science says um, instead of uh, media narratives. Now the the good the good part of this is that um, there are signs that the resistance in terms of the, the peaceful protests and res- are achieving some ends. Now I'm still very guardedly optimistic uh, because with one bad turn one false flag or something like that, this this could um, just be a great impetus to take the next step towards greater totalitarianism. But uh, in Canada, certainly we've seen the removal of our, um, you know, our, our feckless uh, conservative leader. Uh, Aaron O'Toole. Aaron O'Toole. And um, so that's a, that's a good sign. And, and, and perhaps many, uh, so, so perhaps a few others, but um, it's really a matter of, of of prayer for Christians to continue to work together for unity and unity of worldview in our churches, and and then to pray for society so that we may be spared from the horrors of what we have seen in history. Um, because certainly, as Christians, we become very uh, one of the number one targets for those who have these totalitarian tendencies. Yeah, we have to stop the division and we have to stop allowing whoever it may be, the government officials, uh, the health officials from dividing uh, the people of Canada. And uh, we have to unify a little bit and recognize that we're all human beings. We're all still human beings. We all have value and uh, we all got to work together. But Dave, let's leave it at this. Let's leave it here. Maybe you could just remind people where to find us. 
For sure. So on the web, remember, you can find us at notconform.show. Uh, it's the best way to um, pass on the podcast to other people. Notconform.show. There's individual episode pages, show notes, subscribe links, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, if you want to email us, email us at info at notconformed.show or if you want to stay with within the Proton Mail encrypted system, notconformed at protonmail.com. All right, Dave. I guess we'll see you in the next episode. Sounds great. Take care, Dan.